Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content. Morning, everyone. Um, Welcome to our 2023 year-end tax planning webinar. Um, We appreciate everyone joining us this morning. Um, Keep tax planning considerations for the 2023 tax year. Um, my name is Troy Turner. I'm a partner and the director of our tax department here, um, and I'll be your moderator today. Uh, joining us as presenters are Ryan Ham, a tax partner with us at the firm, and Richard Bell, one of our uh, tax principals. As I think most of you know, uh, GRF's um, CPAs and advisors were based out of Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, we primarily serve clients in the DMV area. Um, as well as nationally and internationally. Um, Our our firm serves a wide range of individual business and nonprofit clients. Uh, We've been around for a little over 40 years now. Uh, We celebrated our 40th anniversary back in, uh, I guess, 2021. So today's agenda, uh, we'll be covering individual business tax items uh, for year end, also any um, new tax law items and reminders. And we're going to kick it off today by throwing it over to uh, Richard Bell. Good morning, everybody. Again, my name is Richard Bell. I am one of our tax principals, and I'll be going over the individual tax section. It'll just be a few reminders and a few tax law changes, which has uh, not been much for 2023. Uh, Next slide. This is our 2023 income tax rates for individuals, which have been adjusted for inflation. Um, I won't go over each category, but I did want to show you uh, this schedule and to kind of review the rates um, and the various filing statuses. Again, there are no significant changes, but it's good to know the rates to determine whether taxpayer must file. And if a taxpayer must file, then knowing their rates can uh, assist with any tax planning. Next slide. This is the rate schedule for capital gains and qualified dividends. Again, we don't need to go over the schedule in detail, but it's good just to highlight and look at the the various uh, filing statuses and and the rates. Um, I'm sure everybody is familiar with capital gains. Uh, Capital gains taxes are paid when you sell an asset, such as stocks or bonds for profits. Um, Investments such as stocks, bonds, cryptocurrency and real estate, cars, boats, and other tangible items are subject to capital gains taxes when they're sold. Um, So knowing that and being able to know your client and that will definitely assist within tax planning. Uh, Let's go to the next schedule. Sorry, slide. I would like to go over, and I'll just read this information. I mean, you have it as well. It's whether a client needs to itemize or if their itemization isn't enough, whether they'll take the standard deduction. As you'll see, the standard deduction uh, deduction increase, 27,000 
700 for married filing jointly. It's 20,800 for head of household, 13,850 for single individuals and married filing separately. It's a good idea to review itemized deductions for the year to determine the best course of action. Next slide. Um, here are some um, specific itemized deductions, medical expenses. Again, these are not changes. This is just a reminder of what the, the rates are and some of the different tax laws. Again, medical expenses, 7.5% AGI is the threshold for 2023. Um, it's good to note that this state and local tax deduction is still capped at $10,000. We have mortgage interest. Knowing this kind of be, it's a little tricky. There are a lot of nuances. So definitely talk to your tax preparer when it comes to mortgage interest. Um, when there's refinancing and refinancing is done and it may be, you know, the client takes out additional funds. So kind of knowing this rule and knowing the nuances, definitely talk to your tax preparer. Um, just highlight mortgages taken out prior to December 15, 2017 is still capped at 1 million. Uh, mortgages taken after December 15, 2017 is capped at $750,000. Um, definitely want to highlight the home equity loans. So home equity loans are only deductible if, if used for buying, building, or fixing a taxpayer's residence. If you take out a home loan and then you use it to pay off credit cards, there's that's no change in law. That's still not deductible, but just knowing that is important. Um, if you can't itemize your deductions but give to charity regularly, you can bunch charitable contributions into one year to generate higher charitable contributions in one year, thereby increasing your itemized deduction above the standard deduction threshold. Let's go to the next slide. Knowing the AGI limits is important. So if you contribute cash to a charity, um, you can't contribute more than 60% of the AGI. That's the same for non-cash. Um, the limits are a little lower when you contribute to a private foundation. You'll see that it's 30 and 20% cash versus non-cash. Any excess contribution is carried forward or uh, five years. Uh, for capital gain property, you get the fair market value for the deduction. You don't pay taxes on the appreciation, which is a huge benefit. Um, it creates magnified tax benefits due to the fair market value deduction without income. There's a small example, you know, next to it. If you donate $200,000, the fair market value of stock, $10,000 results in extra tax saving benefit between fifteen dollars to $23,800. Let's go to the next slide. So. Richard, just want to hop in there for a second, just to explain a little further to everybody. When you are giving away appreciated property, typically you would sell the property and recognize capital gains and pay the tax on that. This mm -hmm. is a specific provision that allows you to take the deduction for what that property is actually worth and still get the charitable donation. So it's actually a double benefit. Thank you for that, Ryan. 
you can all a taxpayer can also contribute to a donor advised fund that could be set up by most retail brokerages. Um, Fidelity, like we said, is a good choice. I mean, you can talk to your, your financial advisor and there are other institutions that offer donor advised funds as well. So don't think we're just recommending Fidelity as an option. With the donor advised fund, you can make a large gift to the fund in one year and you'll take the full deduction. So you can donate, you know, a million dollars and then you can spread that million dollars over, you know, the next several years, but you get that tax benefit in the current year. Um, you can donate cash or stock. And then the same is true. When you donate stock, you get the fair market value of the stock as your deduction. Um, so the next section is qualified charitable distributions. Sorry, not next slide. Go back to the last slide for me, please. Thank you. Um, for qualified charitable distribution, it must be a direct transfer from your IRA to the charity. The taxpayer must be at least 70 and a half at the time of the transfer. Um, the maximum amount that you can take as a deduction is $100,000 per year per taxpayer. The distribution is not taxable and the contribution is not deductible. Next slide for me. Here are some other ways to reduce your taxes. You can use your year bonus to max out your 401k or your 403b. Keep in mind that the limit is still $22,500 and uh, plus a $7,500 catch up if you're over 50. Uh, tip would be to hold the investments for more than one year before selling. That way you receive long-term capital gain treatment. Um, you can sell investments at a loss to offset any capital gains. Um, keep in mind, you wanna watch out for any wash sales rules. Um, talk to your tax professional regarding wash sales. It's pretty nuanced there. You can accelerate medical expenses to get over the 7.5% AGI threshold. Another, uh, way to reduce your taxes will be contribute to your IRA or considering converting to a Roth IRA. Keep in mind that the max contribution is still 6,500 plus the catch up of 1,000 for those 500 and older. Keep in mind for all the various tax credits, there's a child tax credit, there's education credits, they're all subject to phase out rules. So you have to keep in mind of that as well. And be sure to use all flex spendings before year end or check with your HR for grace periods. Super important as well. Next slide, please. There are other ways to reduce business related income. You can report unreimbursed business expenses related to pass through activities such as partnerships. You can maximize tax-favorite retirement plan contributions for self-employed small business owners, such as IRAs, solo 401k, SEP IRA, simple IRA, or defined benefit plan. Um, you can max elective deferral retirement contributions, such as 401k, 403b, 457b, and simple IRA. You can take the self-employed health insurance deduction, um, which is a good one as well. Um, deduct business mileage for your personal automobile. 
think most people think just because it's a personal automobile that you can't take the deduction. You can only when it relates to business expenses or business activity, I'm sorry. So you'll probably need a log of that and then keep that contemporaneously uh, with the activity to provide that to your tax professional. And then you can take those expenses as well. Um, consider the possibility of home office deduction very nuanced here too. So you definitely want to speak to your tax professional before you take that deduction to do, to ensure that you actually qualify for that deduction. Next slide. Sorry about that. Um, cryptocurrency transactions reporting. You must answer yes or no to virtual currency question on page one of your 1040. It's relatively new, um, but it's been there definitely for a couple of years, but look out for that. Um, you want to uh, look at your currency and it's, it's treated as property for tax purposes, triggering sales and exchange reporting on Schedule D, which is similar to your other sell of stock. There's no FBAR reporting requirement currently for virtual currency. However, um, Form 8938 for specified foreign asset reporting, there's no clear guidance presently whether you have to report um, the sale of cryptocurrency there. Keep in mind, you know, there's always going to be new laws and regulations coming out. So we'll ask your tax professional and to, to look out for that as well. There are potential tax savings opportunities as well. There's no wash sale rules yet for virtual currency transactions. Um, you can sell and repurchase and deduct the loss. Um, charitable contributions of highly appreciated virtual currency. Um, keep on the lookout for more reporting requirements beginning January 2024. Next slide. This brings us to our first polling question. Yes, thank you, Richard. Um, so we got our first polling question of the day. Um, which statement best describes where you currently stand with your 2023 tax planning? A, I have already done my planning for 2023. B, I'm interested in planning, but I have not begun the process. C, I don't mind, I don't intend on doing any planning this year. So it looks like, um, Pretty evenly split here between those who have already done their planning for the year and those who are interested and have not begun the process. So for those who are interested and haven't started, um, please re reach out to us um, and we're happy to help between now and the end of the year and provide any guidance uh, that we can. All right. Well, now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about business tax planning. Um, one of the important things you want to do for getting with your financial advisor for beginning planning is to go ahead and make sure you're sending over your latest financial statements. So your year end, uh, I'm sorry, your month end, October 31st should be closed now, now that we're in mid-November. Send that over to your financial advisor and they can start working with you about planning. All right, our first topic here is qualified business income deduction. This is something that was enacted back in 2017. 
And this is a deduction that flows through from pass-through entities, and it's a 20% deduction if you qualify. So this applies not only to partnerships and S-corporations, but also applies to rental income and Schedule C businesses. This does not apply to corporations because those are not flow-through entities. This is something that passes through to your 1040. Next slide. So as I mentioned, this is a deduction that's equal to 20%, the lesser of 20% for your taxable income. There are a few qualifications. There is what's called the specified service trader business, which puts a limitation on certain individuals. And then there is a wage limitation um, and taxable income whereby if you are a specified trader business, you are still eligible for the deduction, but as long as you fall within the income caps. So for married filing jointly, the phase-in is at 364,200, and you are completely phased out by 464,200 of taxable income. If you are married filing separately or single rate, those phase-ins start at 182,100 and phase out by 232,100. So that means, again, if you're a specified service trade or business and your taxable income is above those thresholds, you will not receive any deduction. Um, for when computing the qualified business income deduction, you need to be able to either take 50% of wages in the W-2 box five or 25% of the W-2 wages in box five plus 2.5% of the unadjusted basis in the fixed assets. Next slide. So here's where we get in into the exceptions. And unfortunately, uh, our group here, our panelists, we are in the field of accounting. So this does not apply to us. We are one of the fields that the IRS and Congress has uh, earmarked is not eligible. So we have health, accounting, performing arts, consulting, law, actuarial services, athletes, financial services and brokerages, and any other trade or business where the principal asset or the reputation or skill of an owner or employee. So we can go a little bit further into this. One of the hot topics is consulting. And when you speak to your tax advisor, if you believe you're a consultant, you need to go through the regulations and determine whether or not you are actually in the field of consulting. It's important. Um, and again, speak to your tax advisor because you may still be eligible for this 20% deduction. Even if you feel you are a consultant, again, it, it all depends. Uh, next slide. All right, so we're still on QBI here. So S corporation shareholders, um, you can increase, uh, I'm sorry, you can decrease compensation as long as you're still within reasonable compensation, which can increase your qualified business income. Um, in a partnership, guaranteed payments are not subject to QBI. So what that means is if you're in a partnership, 
and you have guaranteed payments, you may need to change your operating agreement to take advantage of this deduction. And again, when we mention the deduction and say it's 20%, I'm just gonna give you an example here. Let's picture that your business is a million dollars and you're making a million dollars and you have enough qualified wages within your business. This deduction is eligible for 20%. So you would only recognize federally $800,000 of taxable income being flown through. So that's quite the deduction that normally the IRS does not give you. Um, next slide. Oh, polling question. All right, so we've reached our second polling question. Um, has the qualified business income deduction been a significant benefit to you so far? Uh, first choice A, yes, I've claimed substantial deductions since 2018. B, no, I do not have any QBI on my return. C, not yet, but hopefully it will be this year. And D, unsure. And I should add, if, if you're answering D here, unsure, then that's a, a perfect opportunity to, um, to reach out to someone in our office um, and we can provide some more explanation and context there. Um, looks like the vast majority um, of the folks who answered uh, don't have any QBI on the return, but um, for those uh, lesser percentage that it does affect, it is a huge, uh, it is a huge benefit uh, that you don't wanna miss out on. The IRS doesn't give too many freebies. So yeah, I'd also add, Troy, for all of those that answered B, you may be eligible and it might just be a misunderstanding as well if you don't have any QBI, if you own a business. So it's important to speak with your tax advisor. Give us a call. We'll take a look for you. All right, so let's go into a few more business items. So this year, uh, bonus depreciation is at 80%. In the past, it's been 100%. So the items are starting to phase down a little bit now. Um, it applies to the cost of both new and used property. So if you buy a used vehicle, there are special rules for vehicles, but if you buy a used vehicle, you can deduct 80% of it in the first year, as long as you meet the rest of the qualifications for vehicles. And this bonus depreciation applies to properties that are three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, 15, or 20 year life classifications. So the main thing that they do not apply to is uh, buildings. So those are longer lives. Bonus depreciation can create a loss if that's your so desired effect. You can elect out of bonus depreciation as well. Excuse me. Uh, qualified leasehold improvement is also eligible for 100% bonus depreciation. Section 179. Uh, for 2023, a taxpayer may expense up to 1,160,000 of qualified property. And this is if the business is places over 2.89 million of property in service during the year, the expense is completely phased out. So you need to look as to how much property you're replacing in service. Um, 
the big difference between bonus depreciation and 179 is that 179 cannot create a loss. However, if you take a deduction and it gets your taxable income down to zero, it will carry forward to a future year. And again, there are vehicles have special depreciation rules, so there are more limits on passenger automobiles and section 179. Next slide. So the write-off of eligible property expired on December 31st, 2022. So right now, the bonus depreciation will continue to decrease by 20 percentage points each year until 2027. So this is currently a phase-out. Um, it is something that is always discussed in Congress because it increases spending amongst the people. But right now, it is subject to phase-out. So the deduction is going to keep getting smaller. Next slide. All right. Excess business loss limitation rules. So excess business limitations are if you are taking a large loss, the IRS has limited this. And that's the best way to describe this is on an individual return, you are limited on active losses, married filing jointly, you may not take more than 578,000 of losses and 289,000 if you are married filing separately or on single rates. Okay. Um, any, and, and any excess loss, so say you have a million dollars of loss in a business and you're not able to claim the loss in 2023, the loss will be carried forward. Next slide. All right, this is nothing new, but the, we are still within the statute of limitations for amending returns for the employee retention credit. So we wanted to mention that in case anybody is out there and has not taken the employee retention credit and believes they may be eligible. So we're just going to go through a little bit about that. So the employee retention credit is a credit against payroll taxes based on the qualified wages that you paid to paid by the employer. An eligible employee is the one that meets either the business suspension condition or the gross receipts condition. And these apply for the tax years 2020 and 2021. So this is why I mentioned there's a three year statute of limitations on filing amended returns. So we're coming up quickly on when those returns can be amended for 2020, depending on when you filed your 2020 income tax returns. Next slide. Okay, the, uh, so again, a little bit more about the ERC. Um, the, CARES Act put it out there that it was based on qualified wages between March 13th, 2020 and December 31st, 2020. The maximum credit is 5,000 per employee, which is based on 50% of wages up to $10,000. There is a gross receipts condition. The eligibility begins in quarter with 50% reduction in gross receipts compared to the same quarter in 2019. 
and ends with the quarter in 2020 where the corresponding reduction is 20 less than 20%. So essentially you needed to have a large reduction in gross receipts to qualify for this. There are a few other exceptions. However, that is the main exception. Um, then in 2021, the Consolidated Appropriations Act came out and extended the ERC through September 30th, 2021. The maximum credit in 2021 is 7,000 per employee. So it was a 70% credit against those up to that limitation of 10,000 wages paid in each quarter. Again, there is a gross receipts condition, meaning that you reduced gross receipts in the same quarter from the previous year. So what that's meaning is Q4 2019 versus Q4 2020. And then in this case, Q4 2020 versus Q4 2021, you had a reduction in gross receipts in excess of 20%. That is one of the gross receipts conditions. Next slide. All right, so this is my favorite topic, the state pass-through entity taxes. A little bit earlier, Richard spoke about the $10,000 SALT limit. That is a SALT limitation was an itemized deduction placed in service in 2017. So in prior to 2017, you could deduct real estate taxes, property taxes, personal property taxes and income taxes on your itemized deductions without any limitation. There might've been other things within your returns, such as alternative minimum tax that might've circumvented the benefit of those taxes. But once they placed this in, in uh, Congress in 2017, the limitation is on $10,000. For any of you out there in the DMV, most likely you're paying real estate taxes and property taxes of about $10,000. So that means you're getting zero benefit on your itemized deductions for your income taxes that you're paying to the states. What the states decided to do was circumvent the system. And what they did is on pass-through entities, so we're talking about uh, LLCs, partnerships, and S-corporations, they went ahead and said, what we're going to do is we're going to consider these as taxes that are paid as if they were paid by a corporation. So when you pay in your S corporation and you pay a tax, let's say you pay $10,000 to the state of Maryland and your income was $100,000. Again, I'm going to use $10,000 because it's a little bit easier for my example. Typically, your K-1 would have set said $100,000 that would have flowed through on your personal return. If you elect into the pass-through entity tax and you were able to take a $10,000 deduction, your federal K-1 would now say $90,000. So essentially, you've reduced your federal income tax, and this does not go to your itemized deductions. This is a deduction in your actual pass-through entity. That's why I mentioned it's very similar to a C corporation. Now, you may think, oh, well, why would the states do this? This is bad for the states. It's not. 
The reason it's not is the states make you add back the amount that you're deducting. So again, that K-1 may say $90,000, but the state of Maryland, for example, is going to make you add it right back. And in the state of Maryland, you're going to be taxed on the full $100,000. So the state will get the same amount of tax they would have gotten. So the states have essentially circumvented the system to allow for a federal deduction. Okay, so we're going to go with our most common state here, the state where we reside is Maryland. Maryland's deduction, although I kind of made it assume that it was 10%, the deduction is actually 8% for pass-through entity taxes. And you may be thinking that this really, when you're in a flow-through entity, typically you're only taxed on non-resident taxes. However, you're actually able to take this deduction if you're a resident of Maryland too and pay the tax on the flow-through income and take a credit on your personal return, whether you're a resident or a non-resident. For tax years beginning after December 31st, 2022, the PE tax, PTE tax in Maryland uh, must be decided and elected with the first filing or payment for each tax year. And once that payment or filing has been made, it is irrevocable for that year. So it's important to talk to your tax advisor. There are also many different pass-through entity tax limitations and elections. So some of the elections need to be made before December 31st, 2023, if you wanna make the election. Some may be by the filing of the returns, such as Maryland. Next slide. All right, so jumping ship here a little bit. Um, net operating losses for 2023 must be carried forward and subject to an 80% limitation. So only losses that were back in 2018 to 2020 could be carried back. So again, net operating losses are carried forward. Um, in 2022, there was, in 2021, there was an exception for business meals in restaurants that were 100% deductible. They, the limitation is now back to 50%. So 50% of all business meals are deductible on your return. There is also a, we wanna mention this last year, there was anticipation that research and developmental expenditures may be switched or retroactively applied in the code. Um, so research and development is something that there's a credit, it's roughly 9% of your eligible expenses that you get the credit for federally. And in the past under Internal Revenue Code Section 174, I know that sounds very boring to everybody given codes, you were able to deduct it annually. So you were able to take a 9%, roughly 9% credit and deduct the expenditures that you had. In 2020 began the first year where 174, so if you've heard that term, 174 was not annually allowed to take a deduction. What you actually have to do is you have to straight line amortize any expenditures within the United States for research and development. 
and amortize them over five years for your deductions. If you have any foreign expenditures for research and development, the amortization is over 15 years. Again, you can still take the research and development credit. However, this was a big change for everybody because this was an expense people were expecting to be able to take. So we wanna mention that as current law right now is under the same rules. It is pending in Congress. It is a highly contestable item, but it is something that they're trying to get switched. But as of right now, this is the law. Next slide. All right, everybody, we're gonna now switch back to individuals. Thank Ryan for the business updates. So back to the individuals for 2023, here are tax law changes and reminders. Uh, most of these are reminders, um, except for a few of these. The max child tax credit is still $2,000 per dependent child under the age of 17. Keep in mind, this is subject to uh, income phase out limits. Um, the max dependent care credit is $3,000 for one child, 6,000 for two or more children. This is also subject to the phase-out rules. Um, the max dependent care FSA contribution limit is 5,000. Um, the most significant, which may affect a lot of our older clients, is um, the RMD, the required minimum distribution. In late 2020, Congress passed legislation that raised the age that you have to start taking RMD from 72 to 73 years old, starting in 2023. This means that if you turn 72 in 2022, you'll need to take your first RMD by April 1st, 2023, and we'll need to make another one by the end of 2023. If you turn 72 in 2023, you won't have to take an RMD until 2024, um, which will be due by April 1st, 2025. A little confusing, definitely talk to your tax provider uh, advisor these dates do matter. Um, next slide. There's also the clean energy tax credit, which has been really popular that, and then we'll also get into the vehicle credits as well. The residential clean energy credit is 30% of the, of the cost of new qualified clean energy property for your home installed anytime from 2022 through 2032. Um, credit percentages rate phases down to 26% from 2033 and then 22% from 2034. Um, there's also the energy efficient home improvement credit for 2023. There's a tax credit of, of up to $3,200 for the year the improvements were installed. $1,200 for energy property costs plus $2,000 per year for qualified heat pumps biomass stove and biomass boilers. The home must be an existing home, cannot be a new home in the US and cannot be taken on a rental property. 30, uh, sorry, credit is 30% of clean, of certain qualified expenses are including qualified energy efficiency improvements such as windows, skylights, exterior doors and insulation, residential, energy property expenses such as energy efficient heat pumps, central AC, furnaces, and water heaters. Um, 
this is subject to home energy audits as well. Um, next slide. The clean energy tax credit we talked about earlier is a clean vehicle credit. Um, Ryan has a lot of experience with this too. He's a car guy. He'll be giving us a little um, insight on this as well. But there is a $7,500 credit if you buy a new qualified plug-in electric vehicle. Uh, everybody loves Teslas and these other brands. But keep in mind, when you look at the credit, Teslas don't necessarily qualify. Um, well, I guess it depends on the actual value of the car. So definitely talk to your tax professional as it relates to when you want to purchase a new vehicle, electric vehicle at that. The rules change for vehicles purchase purchases from 2023 to 2032. The credit isn't available to taxpayers with AGIs over 300 for married filing jointly, 225,000 for head of household, 15, uh, sorry, 150,000 for all other filers. Um, there's new rules for qualified vehicles, including requirements for final assembly in North America and MSRP limits, 80000 for vans, sports utility vehicles, and pickup trucks, and $55,000 for other vehicles. So, yeah, thank, thanks, Richard, that I am a car guy. But this is, this is one of those things where, you know, if you go into uh, a dealership, they're going to tell you you're going to get a $7,500 credit. And you want to be speaking to your tax advisor because one, your income might be too high, um, so you wouldn't get the credit. Your uh, the vehicle might have too much of an MSRP, so you wouldn't get the credit. Or, frankly, the most common is the rules have changed for which vehicles are still eligible for the credit, and they might still be telling you old news. So then you know you buy the car expecting a seventy five hundred dollar credit and you find out you're not going to get it, that vehicle was essentially $7,500 too much. So please call us and we will research whether or not your vehicle qualifies. This brings us to our next polling question. Yes, thank you, Richard. <clears throat> so... We've reached our third and final polling question of the day. Um, do you plan to take advantage of the state pass-through entity tax regime um, that Ryan spoke about? Uh, three choices here. Choice A, yes, it would save me a lot of federal tax. B, no, I do not have any pass-through entity income or see much benefit. Or in item C, not sure. I need to take a look into this further. Uh, let's see. So it looks like most of our respondents um, don't have any pass-through entity income uh, to be available for to take take advantage of the pass-through entity tax credit. Um, but there are a significant portion, 23%, who are not sure. So for those of you who are not sure, please um, reach out and we'd be happy to look at it and advise whether or not you can and should make the election. Thanks, Troy. Let's down go over ways to possibly increase your income. That's why would you want to increase your income? Um, think about maybe, you know, you know you have losses flowing in from other activities and you want to now possibly pull out cash at, at a tax advantage. You could execute a Roth conversion. 
Um, you can sell investments to increase capital gains. Um, there's a little illustration. If there's other, if your income is low, then there is zero tax rate of the uh, long-term capital gain. You would think about selling some stock to offset that, and then you now have available cash at a low tax rate. Um, if you are over 59 and a half at the end of the calendar year, you can take money out of your IRA or qualified retirement plan. You'll still pay tax on that money. However, you won't be subject to the penalties if you're over 59 and a half. Next slide. We're gonna now go over some cost of living adjustments. The rates have slightly changed. So, for retirement plans, you have your 401k, your 403b limits, which are 22,500 plus 7,500 if you're over the age of 50. Um, defined contribution plan limits are now $66,000. Simple plan contribution limits, $15,500. Um, IRA contribution limit, 6,500. Catch up, it's still 1,000. The SSA, so Social Security benefits, will increase to 8.7, and 24, it's going back down, I think, to 3.7%. Um, Social Security wage limit is $160,200. You have your QBI deduction. The phase-out starting point is now $364,200 and $182,000 if you're single. Uh, foreign Earn income exclusion is now $120,000 per person. The last section is the IRS has, a re has recently announced an increase in 2023 on the estate and gift tax exemptions. Um, the lifetime estate is now $12,920,000. The annual gift tax exclusion is increasing to $17,000 for each person given a gift, which is the highest this exclusion has ever been. For a spouse that is a non-U.S. citizen, the annual amount that can be given is $175,000. Next slide, there's, in 2025, there's sunset tax provisions that we'll go over. Unless extended via legislation, many provisions in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act are scheduled to expire at the end of 2025. And here are some of the things to know. Um, I'll read them, but they're all listed here, and you should have a copy of this slide as well, of the whole presentation, which you can also refer back to. Um, you may expect an increase in the federal federal marginal rates um, that uh, are lowered. Sorry. You may expect an increase in the federal marginal tax rates again as the Tax Cuts and Job Acts lower them from 10%, 15 25 I'm not going to go over all the rates, but here they are at the top. Uh, the limitation on itemized deductions will be lifted, which can benefit those with high salt taxes once again. Um, the TCJA lower the AGI floor that was applied to medical expenses, so that may rise back to 10%. The amounts for the standard deduction and child tax credit may also de decrease as a result. The AGI, AGI limits for charitable contributions may change as all charitable cash contributions are currently 100% deductible. 
Um, the big change is that the estate tax lifetime given limit may revert back to about $6 million, which is down from $12.92 million limit due to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So next slide. The alternative minimum tax will once again apply to more taxpayers due to much lower exemptions and income phase-out amounts with the end of the TCJA provisions. Unfortunately for businesses, deductions for qualified business income may no longer be available after 2025. We may also see a comeback with the following deductions, such as miscellaneous itemized deduction, personal casualty loss deductions, moving expenses, and personal exemptions on returns. This. Okay. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Richard. Um, and I think as, as you're going through that last piece of the 2025 um, TCJA amounts that are going to revert back to old rules um, on the cash contribution being 100% deductible, I think it's 60% now. So they made a change in one of the tax laws that passed since then. Um, it was 100% for a while. Now it's, I think, back down to 60. So. Um, just want to point that oh, thanks out. For that. Um, and so it looks like, let's see, we've got a few minutes um, to answer some questions. And I, I believe some have been posted here in the chat. Yeah, so so um, I, I want Ryan to Richard, have you those. seen any of them you want to answer if you want me to go up and read some? Yeah, I got I got a few of them. So one of the questions was from Jenny was, can you elect pass through entity taxes in multiple states? The answer to that is absolutely yes. So again, if you're having apportionment in more than one state in your pass-through entity, it's important to uh, try and get as many of the PTE taxes as you can. Again, give us a call. Uh, every state is pretty much different when it comes to PTE taxes. Not all states have elected it. Uh, we can certainly help you out with that. Um, there was another question from John, I believe, if you can have uh, residential credit, the residential energy credit to mixed use property? The answer to that is it depends. That's uh, you know the, the tax guy's favorite answer. It, if your uh, business use of the property is less than 20%, you are eligible for the credit. Um, and then there was another question about on a second home, you may not take residential energy energy credits on a second home. It must be your primary home. So I see one, the first um, question that came in um, at the very top, I'll just read it. So it says here, does selling investments at a loss only offset capital gains or can it also reduce taxes on income if you don't have any capital gains? capital gains so i guess that one also depends technically yes you can offset capital gains and you can offset up to uh, fifteen hundred dollars uh, if you were single or married filing separately or three thousand if you're married filing jointly other income but if you do not have other income you wouldn't be able to take uh, the loss from capital losses trying to look through the questions here a little bit. Um, 
The, the clean energy car credit, there's a question there about leasing and buying. Uh, it depends on what type of lease you have. So if it's uh, just a typical lease, you may not be able to qualify for the credit. But if it's a lease to own, you likely would be eligible for the full credit. Again, it all depends, and it might be uh, a partial credit as well. I'm not sure if any of any of you know the answer to this one, but it says um, someone's asked about Social Security benefits. If they begin in the middle of 2023, would they be eligible to get the 2024 COLA adjustment? I think I think the answer to that is yes, but I'm not 100% sure. I've never specifically looked that up, but I can't imagine they wouldn't give someone an adjustment um, that would be effective for everyone on January 1 of 24. There's another question too. Um, I think it's Tom. He said, is the QBI deduction still around for 2024? If I'm not mistaken, the answer is yes. It's set to sunset in 2025. That's correct. You can up and up and through 2025, QBI is still around. Um, again, it potentially may expire after the 2025 tax year. <laughs> Um, I know we didn't cover the 529 question in the slides, so I don't know if anyone has ever looked into that or if that's something, if we don't know the answer to it um, off the top of our head, we can just shoot um, to that person. If you could just shoot us an email, one of us, um, and then we can look into it and get back to you. Yeah, I do know that there were some rules around that, but that looks like a specific question with the Roth IRA. I'm not, uh, I don't know that off the top of my head, but there were some provisions with leftover 529 money that you can roll over into IRAs, um, but I don't specifically know the Roth uh, off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't know the specific parameters on that either. So, but yeah, we can just shoot us an email, one of us an email and we can look into it, have somebody look into it, get back to you. Well, thanks everyone for attending with us. Uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We have all of our information up there. Um, again, we, we'd look forward to working with any, any new clients or, or if you are our clients, please reach out to us. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, thanks everybody for attending. Um, we encourage you to follow us on social media at GRFCPAs. And I assume you know what that means because I don't. Um, or visit us on our website for upcoming events and alerts, which <laughs> I do know how to do that. Um, uh, thanks, everybody. Um, appreciate it and have a, have a good day. Thank you for listening to the GRF on the Co podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.